Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group that went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Father, we beg of you to transform us by the preaching and reading of your holy word. Thank you for your love for us that changes our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening on this second Sunday of Christmas. We recall that Christmas is a season of 12 days. And guess what today is? Guess what number? Numero dose, number 12. We're on the last one. So your bulletin may say Epiphany, but we're going to celebrate Epiphany next Sunday night. We'll have three kings meander down the center aisle and find their way to the crib of Jesus, and we'll have baptisms next Sunday night. So tonight I just want to offer you a brief, um, as I recover from a sinus infection that left me rather like a zombie, or what I think what being a zombie might be like um, this week, I want to offer you a few reflections. And I want you to see that in this final story of Jesus' childhood, we have the gospel embedded inside of it. We have this story of Jesus' childhood, and we have the gospel there embedded. Now, you may say, well, of course, Jay, because Jesus is the gospel, and that's a Sunday school answer, and of course we do. But I want you to reflect upon, and I want you to ponder this story in light of what we read in Psalm 84. Look at your bulletin, if you will. Psalm 84 is on page 3 and 4 in your bulletin. And this psalm is a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer talking about God's house. Now we know on this side of things, on this side of the resurrection and ascension and the outpouring of the Spirit, God does not live in temples built by hands, St. Paul told the people of Athens on, there on Mars Hill. He, and he never really did. His presence resided in, in his temple with the people of Israel, but he can't be contained by a building that's made by human hands. But still we have this sentiment in Psalm 84, how dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts. Now when the psalmist was writing that, he was probably thinking specifically of the temple. How important to me is this place that I go on pilgrimage. Later the psalmist says, blessed is him in whose heart are the highways to Zion. In other words, just like as Joseph and Mary took pilgrimage all the way from Nazareth up here in the hilly country of, in region of Galilee, down through the middle of the country, up 
to Jerusalem. We say up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is high, high in the mountains. And as they went up to Jerusalem, they followed these highways to Zion, these pathways to God's house. And we can imagine that they might have been saying something like, how dear to me is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul had as a desire and a longing for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh rejoice in the living God. So when you read the Psalms, remember that these are prayers that the people of God have used since the time that they were written. Truly, the Psalms have been the prayer book of the church, the prayer book of the people of Israel, since they were composed. So bear that in mind as we read the story of Joseph and Mary taking 12-year-old Jesus totally into Minecraft and all the other 12-year-old things. Just, just a joke. But so we have Jesus as a 12-year-old in this pre-teen phase of life. And, and it brings a lot of wonder to our minds, doesn't it? Because we think, what must he have been like? Was he rowdy? Was he athletic? Was he, how did he interact with, with people in authority? And we see embedded not only the gospel, but we see a sense of Jesus' heart here. So look at your bulletin. And on page five, we have this story in Luke chapter two. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is they take this pilgrimage on the feast of what? Passover. Passover is the big feast. There are a lot of feasts in Israel's calendar, just like there are a lot of feasts in the church calendar. But Passover is the one. If you're going to be there, that and the Day of Atonement, those are the ones that you want to be in, in Jerusalem. You want to be at the temple. Now, remember what happens at the Feast of Passover. There are a bunch of sheep. Now, there are always a lot of animals at the temple. And those animals just weren't looked at and adored and gawked at or petted. They were sacrificed. So a priest in the, in the Old Testament worship cult, a priest was a lot like a butcher because you would take the animal, you would offer it to God, you would give thanks to God for it, and then you would kill it. Its blood would run, and that blood would run over the altar, and then you would burn the animal. Now, on this, this feast of Passover, there would have been a lot of sheep, a lot of Passover lambs. Do you remember the Passover lamb? It was the same lamb where the people of Israel celebrated that first Passover in the land of Egypt. And it was by this feast that God would deliver his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Do you recall? How would God do this? They would each take a lamb, a spotless lamb, that would live in their home all week long. And at the appointed time, the day of preparation, the head of the household would slaughter the lamb, kill it, and it would take the blood of the lamb with hyssop branches, as Moses instructed them, and he would paint the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of the household. And God promised that every household who had the blood of the lamb covering it, the angel of death would pass over. Hence, our feast of Passover. Now, God didn't just say, I'm going to rescue you from Egypt by this really fascinating feast. He also said, this is going to be a 
perpetual feast for you, a perpetual memory. So every year, you're going to take a little lamb. It's going to live with you. You're going to kill it. You're going to put its blood on the doorpost. And that's going to be for you a remembrance that this lamb died, O people of Israel, so that you could have life, so that you could be my people and I could be your God. Now, Jesus is 12 years old and he's probably been to 12 Passovers in Jerusalem. Here he goes on this 12th one. And in this age, probably of discovery and understanding (coughs) more about his calling, more about his vocation, more about his role, not just in his life and his family's life, but in the life of the world. We can only imagine what the 12-year-old Jesus must have thought when he saw all of these sheep and lambs gathered in the temple courts ready to be slaughtered. Because Jesus one day would go back to this same city for a final Passover and he would celebrate the Passover meal with his friends and when he took bread he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said this is my body. This is not the body of the Passover lamb that we would sacrifice in this old covenant. This is my body that is broken and given for you. And after the supper, Jesus took the cup of wine and what did he say? This is not the blood of a sheep. And a good Israelite would never drink blood. So they never drank the blood, they drank wine. But Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Do you see the connection? I, need, I just need you to nod. Because remember, I've been a zombie. All, okay, we're seeing the connection. So Jesus knows, probably at some level, even as a 12-year-old, that this great salvation that God has wrought for his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, delivering them from slavery and bondage in Egypt, might prefigure the way that he could be what his cousin would call him in a few short years, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus and his family go to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So in a way, Luke is telling us he's cueing to us what's going to happen, isn't he? as a gifted storyteller, as somebody whose eyes on the details. We know that what Passover means. We know it means lambs slain, and we know it means the lamb slain, the gospel embedded in this story. So Jesus is in Jerusalem on the feast of the Passover. The feast has ended. These eight days of the feast are over. Probably a whole ton of them are from Galilee, Nazareth specifically. They all gather in their caravan. They take off back down the mountains, back north, maybe following the Jordan River, up, up, 
up, up to Nazareth. And Joseph and Mary realized something. Where's Jesus? Can't help but think of Home Alone. Flying across the Atlantic Ocean. Come on. Great movie. But they realized that they have left Jesus. Now, I think child rearing in those days, it was definitely more communal. So Joseph and Mary probably didn't have a, they didn't feel a, you know, an awful blame. Um, but still, they should have got their kid. <laughs> they should have brought him with them. So they stop wherever they are. They run into John Candy and his polka band and somehow, <laughs> polka, polka, polka. They make it back down to Jerusalem and they're looking all over the city for them. Now imagine that. If you're the parents of a 12-year-old and you're looking for your kid in the holy city, in this big, amazing place, where do you go? You go to the arcade, the sports store, the whatever. So they look, and finally, they find Jesus. But it takes them how long? Three days. Second point, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, gives himself for the life of the world, when he, when he empties himself out, as St. Paul says in Philippians 2, pours himself out, his life expires on the cross, and he's laid in a tomb to rest, and he's laid there for three days. Friday, that was the day of preparation when all the Passover lambs were killed. Saturday, the Sabbath, the day of rest, the day when no one does anything. Have you been in a Jewish community on the Sabbath? Have you been to Israel on the Sabbath? It's a beautiful thing to watch everything purposefully cease and stop. I wish that we had something of that in our own rhythms of rest as Christians, and especially here in the United States. That second day he rested, and on the third day, the first day of the week, it was the women, wasn't it? The women who followed Jesus, who ran to the garden tomb who ran to see at first light how he was, to check on him. They had spices, they had ointment. They wanted to express their love for him, the same love that they had for him in this life while he was at rest and repose and with resting with God, they wanted to express that love. And they get there the third day of, of, of his rest, the first day of the week, and he's not there. And the same thing we see with the gospel embedded in the story that Jesus is found in the temple on the third day. In this place of crucifixion, Passover and sacrifice, his parents find him on the third day. And he's there listening. 
He's asking questions, and all sorts of people are in awe of Jesus and his abilities. Well, when finally they get to him on this third day, and they take him aside and give him a good talking to, because that's what you do to a child who's made themselves scarce, who's gotten lost when you're in Jerusalem uh, for the Passover feast. This is what Mary says. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Clearly, she's anxious. Clearly, she's upset. Clearly, she knows she did something that they probably shouldn't have done. And she's very upset. And in a, in a manner of speaking, she gives the whole, what do you have to say for yourself? How dare you? What do you have to say for yourself? And look at Jesus' response in verse 49. Why were you looking for me? You should have known where I would have been. Did you not know that I must be, and here's the third point, in my father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, Mary and Joseph are not dull people. Mary and Joseph have seen and heard divine things witness their son. Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. An angel, Archangel Angel Gabriel, speaking directly to Mary. Speaking directly to Joseph. They are accustomed, at least probably more than you and I, to the supernatural breaking in on this world. And Jesus takes something very supernatural or spiritual and makes it a very natural part of his life, doesn't he? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? It's easy for us to segregate and to cordon off spiritual parts of our lives. Well, I'm really, this is, this is what I'm doing to be spiritual. And I, I'm going to not do this thing. I'm going to avoid this thing because it will help me be spiritual. And we tend to think of, of secular and sacred and church and state. <coughs> and inside this building is the church. Outside it's not. But really, one thing that Jesus is telling us is that these boundaries that we create, though they may be helpful for reference, though they may be helpful for helping us understand Life and, and you know, just making sense of everything, these boundaries really don't exist the way that we think that they do. This is my father's house. Well, Joseph is your father. Mary, we, Mary didn't respond that way, but think about it for a minute. Well, Joseph is your father. Well, he is. He was his adopted father. And we read later that Jesus is subject or submits to Mary and Joseph as, as his earthly parents. But he says, didn't you know that after you found me on the third day around this feast of Passover, that I would be in my father's house? This house, this building of the temple will be destroyed in a, in a few short years. By the year 70 AD, that temple would be destroyed, and as Jesus would prophesy later in his life, not one stone would be left upon another. It was gone. And the need for the temple would be gone as well. Why? 
Just like the need for a Passover lamb would be done away with, so this temple would be made obsolete. No longer would God have a specific place where he abided with his people because in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God would abide in his people. God would abide in this dwelling of the Holy Spirit that St. Paul calls the church in Ephesians. Now, go back to Psalm 84. And you heard me say earlier that it's the prayer book of the church. It's, these are the words of the church that we use to pray and that people of, people of God, the, the, the Israel of God, if you will, has been, have been praying these words as long as they have been composed. Now, I want you to put these words on Jesus' lips as Jesus' words. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts. My soul had as a desire and longing for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh rejoice in the living God. The sparrow has found her a house and the swallow a nest where she may lay her young by the side of your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are they who dwell in your house. They will always be praising you. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose heart are set on the pilgrim way. Those who go through the desolate valley will find it a place of springs, for the early rains have covered it with pools of water. They will climb from height to height, and the God of gods will reveal himself in Zion. We can imagine the 12-year-old Jesus saying this psalm. As all he can do is abide in his father's house. As he sees the Passover lambs around him, as he hears the story of the Exodus, as he eats the meal in haste, all he can do is think about his father's house, his father's will. This Christmas, we're invited to remember that yes, we have this special place or wherever place we meet as St. Bart's that we can call God's house. But the house of God is no longer made of stones, but of living stones of you and of me for all those who are in Christ. And we can think about us as a building, us as a temple, us as a people, and Jesus saying those same words of us. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts. You see, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, so that he could make for himself, for God, so that he could bring all things together in himself, as St. Paul so beautifully writes in Ephesians 1. 
so that all people would be in Christ and in God and would be knit together by the Spirit of God. So when we gather, it's not because there are cool clothes in our midst that special things happen. It's because God has deemed it holy. God has deemed it special. God has deemed it supernatural. God has said, you are my house. In fact, in the book of Revelation, one of the final verses, Revelation 21, when the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven and we see this new glorious holy city, remember the city that used to kill prophets, that used to be this adulterous, awful place, it's now been transformed completely. And the new Jerusalem is there and a voice says, Behold, now the dwelling of God is with humans. Friends, that is what Jesus came to do. We feel it, we see it, we taste it, we experience it now in part in a very true and real way as the church of God. And our experience of that now is to be an image of that ultimate shalom, that ultimate rest, and that ultimate feast, that ultimate Christmas that is coming and soon. Let us pray. Lord, your dwelling place is dear to us. We have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your honor dwells. And Lord, we're so desperate for you to continue to move in our midst, continue to draw us close to you, and to continue to see your holy gospel in stories just like this. So we pray this all in the name of your risen Son who came among us to dwell with us that we might be your adopted sons and daughters. Amen.